welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, this dude, long hair, backwards hat, per usual, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman, doing the magic spirit fingers and everything. That was a lie. I've never done that in my life. I'm a seriously intimidating individual. You would know if you've met me. It's not true at all, everybody. <laughs> He's a teddy bear. But today, no, no, damn it, Sam. <laughs> uh, today, I want to start kicking it off with, we were talking before the show, Alex just went to uh, an MMA event and just all the fights in total, we, we kept seeing, or I say we, he saw uh, that there was a lot of inefficiencies in grappling going on. Right. There was a lot of people that were just grappling to fill the time, not actually trying to grapple to score or grapple to advanced position. They were kind of doing it on the passive end or just to hold position. And to me, while that is fantastic, certain cage positions are where you can regain energy, where you can kind of like take your foot off the gas if you need a little break and then pump it back forward. But for the most part, the grappler in me is you should be looking to score. You should be looking to dominate. And, and while there is this time and a place for energy conservation, a lot of the times our movement is actually extremely limited because in our mind, we're like, oh, I can't give, I can't let this guy off the cage instead of, oh, I'm going to bury this dude on his head into the floor. And if we make that distinction from the first or the former to the latter, that's going to change the way we grapple. Right. It's kind of like a killer mindset, right? Like I understand that being in control and having the superior grappling position is like favorable and you don't want to lose that in a fight. But when that consumes your whole being and you're just essentially laying on somebody, like it's not that again, it's not the the worst thing in the world to hold somebody and to dominate the position, but progress in your position, like move on, like be able to take some risks and be willing to, you know, end the fight there, try and finish. Um, rather than just maintain control. Well, uh, the point you make is you have to be willing to take a risk, right? Yeah. So often one of the, one of the, in my mind, the biggest factors that inhibits growth and inhibits performance or performance is a decreased state of risk aversion. If you're not willing to take risks, if you're not willing to try to create opportunities, which is just calculated risk-taking, then you're probably not going to be the one that gets your either name up in lights or wins the fight. Oh, you're just clamming up and then not making any decisions. That hesitancy is going to cost you uh, as well. So definitely decrease the performance a little bit, but that is also to say not, don't just you know, jump on an arm bar and land on, on underneath somebody and completely give up your position. Like there's calculated risk, just like Austin said. So it's not that we're just throwing from left field and trying to catch something, <laughs> right. Or like Imanari rolling for no reason. Like let's calculate and know what's going on um, in our positions and then take a, a calculated risk to advance. Like worst comes to worst, you're back on your feet or worst comes to worst, you're 50, 50. Don't, don't maybe go for those, you know, submissions that worst comes to worst. You're on the ground getting pounded. Right. And, and one of the biggest points in that aspect is I see a lot of our jujitsu backgrounded fighters that they make the argument, Oh, I'm great off my back or, Oh, that's where I'm most dangerous. And, uh, a, common theme that the answer, the way that I've found success and our coaching staff find success answering this is like, yes, that's fantastic when it's not sweaty. Um, it's fantastic. Uh 
like with a minute left in the round where it's not going to make much of a difference if you end up on bottom. But if you jump for a flying triangle in the first 30 seconds of the round and you get stuck on bottom for four minutes and 30 seconds, that doesn't look good to the judges. So I don't care if you're dangerous off your back. That only works to a certain extent because in MMA, I don't care how dangerous you are off your back. You're still getting a fist to your face for the most part. And that limits a lot of your attacks off your back. Regardless, if you're in a guard, like the top guy is viewed as dominant, like Mm -hmm. period. That's, you know, just kind of MMA fact. So, but that's also an interesting criteria to think about it too, from a judging perspective. Like if you're holding position and you've been in the same position for a minute and a half, and I think more, more and more refs are reluctant to stand people up uh, nowadays, but you lose some of that. Um, like control or some of that dominance if you just sit there for two minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's no longer this guy is dominating position. It's like, oh, they both just settled in this position and nobody's really winning, right? So if you're not actively advancing or working to advance or being busy with your hands, like it might be even just as stupid as that. Like stay busy with your hands, landing some ground and pound, which opens a door to advance maybe. But um but yeah, you, you got to think of what's happening in the judges heads as well. It's like, am I in this position um, and genuinely owning it and dominating it? Or am I in this position and we're just here now and that's not looking favorable for me? What's the biggest position you saw today that you pe- think people can get better at? Uh, passing guard. Passing guard. Yeah. And I mean, I think the guys that were in guard were like jujitsu players and they wanted to just sit in their guard, right? Or that's where they felt safe. Um, talking about the bottom man or the top man? bottom man feeling yep. safe in their guard, right. but the top man's got to learn how to break it. Got to right. break the guard, got to be able to pass or stand up. Like that's one of the most dangerous positions, right? That when you're standing over somebody like upcakes, you have to watch out for, but like you're standing over somebody pass and throw at the same time. Well, I would argue. So I, <laughs> I would argue. So full guard, that's a relatively good position to ground and pound from though. So why, why in my mind, if I'm a, if I'm a rat wrestler, a wrestler, as I was about to say, mm-hmm. I'd like to stay in a full guard because I can lock the hips down and I could still strike out of that. Yes, is a potentially more dangerous area, but I'd rather them be, if we look at the trends in my mind, typically if people are able to get to side control, they're going to roll through, get to the cage, work their way up. If I have somebody in full guard, I can lock their hips in place and they're, they ain't going nowhere. That's the well, same with like locking down a half guard too. Everybody wants to pass the side control to go after all these different things. And something that our coach Santino talks about so much is, Hey, if you're a wrestler, why aren't we just locking down the half guard, posturing up, beating the shit out of that person on bottom? Why are we looking for that pass or those two points in a jujitsu match? Well, I think that's the hesitancy is as soon as I get to this position, I start posturing up and trying to land. That's when shit opens up and people escape or shit opens up and people get away. But that's like the risk you have to be willing to take and then adapt to it. Right. So like, I think that's where we get well insecure in the fight. And we're like, I don't want to sit up and throw because then they might escape. But it's like, even if they try and escape, you're still in a dominant position. Go for the next dominant position. Exactly. It's how it's how comfortable are you in that position as an offensive person? If you don't want to be on the ground, that's the best part about that guard. Well, guess what? You could probably exactly what Alex talked about in the first place. You could step up with one, step up with the other. Hey, look out. They're looking to heel sweep you, if you will, um, or roll under for a leg lock. But as long as you able to, you're able to do that in a smart, efficient manner, boom, you get out of there, you get back to your feet and tell them to call up, right? But if you're on top and looking for where you feel most comfortable, 
that typically allows you to freestyle, allows you to de- or increase that risk aversion, allows you to take those calculated risks that you could pass to half guard or you can posture up and throw just from full guard and get to your offense, which is, I think, I think where we're going to go with this whole podcast is how do we open up the offense and how do we get you in an offensive mindset? Because so many people are just focused on quote unquote scoring points. When you're in a cage fight, you're there to get the knockout. You're there to win on Dana White's contender series and get that contract. You ain't going to do that with a 29, 28 or unanimous decision. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, and that's one of the things that the factory ice coach Mark Pantoy has been preaching to us. And he's actually had us funneling into finishing positions from our takedowns and things like this. But one of the, the, the key point is like, you are a finisher. Like you are there to finish the fight. You are not there to win the decision. You're not there. You're there to get the TKO to, you know, lock somebody up and relentlessly pound on them. Right. So bless you. Maybe you can tell Austin's about to sneeze, but, um, you're there to be a finisher. So let's find these positions that you're not so tied up or you're not so, uh, risk adverse that you can finish. So like we do a lot of gift wrap. We do a lot of three quarter mount. We do, I mean, hooks in, flatten out the guy. Like that's a finishing position, right? So Mm -hmm. looking for the, not only looking for the finish as far as a one shot power or a one-off, but looking for positions that guys are literally stuck, get them stuck, land a few power shots. And then if you do that, you know, you can do that. If you do that twice in a fight, then you're probably going to win the fight for sure. And then we can extrapolate this idea to wrestling as well. And probably every other combat sport, but this is the one that I'm most familiar with in wrestling. How do we finish takedowns, Alex? For the most part, if we're drilling well, what do we do with the finish? Put them on their back, put them on their back. We're going for a pin or we're going for more points, mm-hmm. not just going for a takedown. We are going for the takedown plus the four points that you're going to get off the near fall right after that in college. Yeah. So it, it's the exact same mindset of when you get a takedown, how are we advancing to our positions? How are we getting to what the offensive beneficial position is versus, Oh, we're just going to get the takedown. Now I get to breathe again. Yay. And don't get me wrong. I know you're getting tired. You're in a fight with another human, probably in the third round grinding out this fight. But what matters isn't that you're getting tired. What matters is you've drilled so many times in practice that you're going to get to that beneficial position that whether you're tired or not, that's the first thing on your brain when you're going into a grappling exchange. hundred percent. And it, again, it, it should become second nature. It shouldn't be that, Oh, I'm getting tired. I'm going to revert to these poor mechanics and tactics. It's like, I'm getting tired. I'm going to revert to good shot defense, or I'm going to revert to, you know, staying in on the hips or uh, keeping my head up. Like that was another big thing. Like guillotines run rampant. Um, at this event I was at. So it's um, it's a place where not just like conditioning, because I think we overhype conditioning sometimes. 1,000%. Like, you know, but like you're going to be tired in a fight. <laughs> and, when I'm, and this is pretty much an army um, quote, but you don't rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training, mm-hmm. right? So we need to have those good habits ingrained. So second nature that even when I am dog tired, if I start grappling, I'm going to keep my head in the center. I'm going to keep my head up. I'm not going to um, run myself into X, Y, or Z. For sure. And so how do we how do we extrapolate all these different things and put it into a practice schematic? Because like we said, this is something that we have to drill. So what? is it is so. it just starting in the grapple, in the kill position, quote unquote, or in the finishing position, or starting at the beginning and doing the sequences? How would you try to train a team 
about this skill? Well, I would, I mean, again, we're all big on systems, right? I would start a system like no matter what we're doing, I, we should teach one takedown into one funnel into, you know, your finishing position or, um, the bigger point that I'm trying to make is that they tie together. There shouldn't be, I give you a bunch of options here. I give you a bunch of options there and I give you a bunch of options there, figure it out. Like I'm all for being a mixed martial artist, but like art without any structure is nonsense. Gotta right? be a cook before you can be a chef. So putting them all together, like, again, uh, I've seen it firsthand at Factory X. Like we've drilled our, you know, MMA doubles. We've drilled our singles. Every time we come down to the mat, it's find the, you know, the staple position where the hips are over on one side, find the three quarter mount, find the side control, find the half guard. If that's where Austin wants to finish. Um, it's finishing in that good position and then knowing your next move. Like we have packages on the ground that we can flow between and in and, and, and out of. Um, so if I was going to start teaching them, I would probably start where the athlete is most insecure. Okay. So if I have a striker and they have no, no idea what to do from wrestling, let's rest, let's do wrestling takedowns and let's figure out our MMA takedowns. Let's figure out how to transition from your striking to your grappling. Let's figure out a takedown. Let's figure out good takedown defense. Um, off of there, we'll work transitions. They should be working their jujitsu simultaneously. So let's tie it all together on the back end. Let's worry about the fundamentals on the front end. I guess if that answers your question. No, it does for sure. It, it lays a good roadmap, right? Because I feel like this is a question a lot of people ask, but, but don't actually think about a roadmap to they're like, Oh, well, we don't chain wrestle well, or, or we don't, we don't end in dominant positions. And then they just keep training separately versus actually putting a system to things. Right. Right. It's like, it's MMA. You're not, I think that, and I think days are pretty much behind us that we train jujitsu and then we train striking and then we do some wrestling and, and then, those stay in their silos. I think MMA is far and away evolved into a blended type of sport because it all needs to blend. Like that's where a lot of the magic happens. Um, but yeah, I would start there. I would again, give your athlete their own parameters and avenues. You can't just say, here's the map, like figure out where to go. Here's point A, here's point B, here's three different routes that you can take, choose the most optimal one. Like, I feel like that type of guidance is a lot more effective than, Hey, figure out where you want to go. Yeah. It's like ways. If you don't want to take the tollway, you don't have to take the tollway, but there's only four <laughs> options. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, I was actually having this talk with uh, one of our coaches he actually just told me he listens to the podcast. Appreciate you, Eddie Cha. But, um, but I was talking with Eddie and he actually asked me, what, what do you think is most important? What are like two or three things that would be most important to train a newcomer to wrestling that wants to transition to MMA. So they're a striker getting into MMA without any wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I said, my big three were level change. That's the first one being able to efficiently level change. Cause that's the only way to get offense or defense. Mm -hmm. Two would be just straight up like sprawl and brawl style that defensive wrestling. I think that's most important because it takes a really long time to master wrestling offense but not a really long time to master keeping somebody the fuck off you. And then third one, which is what brought this point up is I don't even think that it's important to train regular wrestling setups for MMA. I think that the number one most important offensive wrestling quality outside of the level chain. So I guess number two is tying your hands or your feet in with your shot, being able to mask your shot behind your hands instead of trying to set people up with like 
collar ties and shit like that. That's what's going to be what leads to your success in MMA. Because if you can set your shots up well, that's going to set you getting somebody to the cage up better. Once you get somebody to the cage, then you can worry about if you want to grapple, if you want to go through uh, a Greco-Roman exchange, whatever it may be. But I think the most important part is the entry, which is going to be our hands or our feet that lead into our wrestling. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think, um, I mean, I totally agree with you that the setups are going to be way different because we're not tying and pushing and pulling. We're striking. Um, I would throw in there. um, And you talked about defensive wrestling a little bit. And I mean, my thought goes immediately ensure that's on the cage as well. Right. Yep. You just have to know how to get off the cage or not get taken down against the cage. Mm -hmm. But sprawling is great. And I would throw in there getting up and getting away. You know, if you do get taken down, how are you going to get up? How are you going to handle that without giving up your back or exposing you to 17 different submissions? Right. So um, I think I think that's a huge skill that uh, is underrated that um, a few weeks ago, I think about it, like Corey Sandhagen put on the clinic, like he got taken down quite a bit. But every time he got up and got away and threw again, you know, so like the secret um, is you have to get your bottom leg through. I talk about this with everybody. It's the first step in every single, we talk about my pathways in my brain. You can do this shit with my eyes closed. The first step in every single one is get your bottom leg to the cage or get your bottom leg through. Once you get your bottom leg through, you can, you can get up with ease, but you can't get up without that leg on the wall. Yeah. I agree with that. Sorry. That's a rant that I've had for a very long time that needed to be said. Talk to too many people about. (laughs) Um, So I know this is neither of us background and maybe we should ask, uh, a striking coach like Eddie Child about this, but like if we have a wrestler transitioning into NBA MMA, what are the the top you three say into MDMA? Exactly, <laughs> we have a wrestler doing MDMA trying to do MMA. That'd Deadly be a combo. Yeah. Deadly combo. Um, I'm sorry, I've just been listening to Joe Rogan and my car too much. Um, <laughs> so a wrestler transitioning to MMA, what are the top three skills? of striking or, or jujitsu or whatever. What are the top three skills that a straight wrestler needs to learn? I mean, let's be honest. I've said it multiple times on this podcast. I don't know. Fuck all about striking, but, <laughs> but, but Hey, you know, wrestlers and you know what their weaknesses are when they no, go fight, for sure. right? But I I've made it a point to ask my striking coaches, this both Alan, our boxing coach and Eddie, our striking coach. And um, one thing that Alan was telling me is that boxing and wrestling range is extremely similar. So being in boxing range and good boxing range is also very similar to being in good wrestling range. And the movements and the hip movements are the same. They're very, very um, tailored to each other. So that's why like the whole sprawl and brawl style came about. It was wrestlers learning how to box. So I would probably say getting good at your boxing footwork, or I guess not even boxing footwork, pairing your wrestling footwork with your boxing technique. In my mind, again, not being a striking coach, just trying to (laughs) lay out a roadmap would be extremely important because you already know the wrestling footwork. How do we pair our hands with that? Okay. Um, Number two, understanding distance. This is something Eddie talks about all the time is knowing whether you're in range, out of range, or sitting in the middle, which is where you're probably going to get fucking clipped, but knowing the danger zone. Exactly. And knowing if you're a wrestler, if you're in, you're probably wrestling. If you're out, you're probably kicking. But right when you're in that danger zone where you're thinking about, hey, maybe I'll throw my hands or maybe I'll take a shot. Well, that's where you're going to get clipped and that's where you're going to get hurt. So knowing where to be in those different exchanges. Those are my two percent. Third one I got, and I guess we'll go away from the striking, um, is learning submissions. 
I think yeah. too many people are like, oh, he's a wrestler. He knows what he's doing on the ground. And like, while that's true, we know a lot of control and we have great positioning on the ground. I can't tell you how many wrestlers I've seen just expose themselves to silly submissions. Like, I don't know how to transition out of a full guard. So let me put my hand on the ground. Done. Armbar. Like, <laughs> goodbye. That's me. That's happened <laughs> a lot to me. Right. Or, or let me hit this double. Wow. This feels good. I blew right through this guy. Guillotine. Yeah. You know, like, um, being aware of them is one thing, but like, and I, I've had a, multiple jujitsu coaches tell me this just from trying to understand as a strength coach, but also trying to further my own jujitsu. It's like, <clears throat> I know good positions and good control in positions. And he's like, and we need to drill that a lot and teach everyone else that you need to learn submissions. You need to learn weird submissions that come from way different angles that you're not looking for. That way you're aware of them. And then once you get aware of them, you can start doing them and then you'll be a jujitsu player, not a wrestler. And so um, I spent a long time just drilling submissions, just trying to figure out submissions, because again, I can get on somebody's back and stay there for a long ass time. I'm not finishing them. Right. I think that goes down to the first thing we talked about this whole day was risk aversion. And I think wrestlers oftentimes are, are so geared towards dominating a position geared towards, Oh, I got to lock this thing down and you don't have the risk aversion or I, it might not even be risk aversion. It might just be the the pathway in your brain to be like, oh, I'm going to jump submission right away. You're just thinking, I got to hold somebody here. I got to hold somebody here. I got to hold somebody here versus I still need to finish them. A pin isn't going to work. <laughs> uh, right. Or you feel safe. You feel safe there. Like I'm uh, in control. I'm safe. No, I don't that, wanna... that's me with one leg in when I have the back. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there. I know I'm safe for the most part. Maybe I'll hit it. Tw- maybe I'll go for a twister, probably hit it, but yeah, always get them. Austin <laughs> always gets the twisters. He lets us know. Uh, but I, for the most part, as soon as I get one leg in, it's not, I, I can lock somebody down there for a good amount of time, but I just kind of sit there for at least a minute. Cause I know I can squeeze that long. Yeah. Yeah. But I also, I think it's, it's good to know where you're positionally strong though. Like I would be willing to bet that regardless if you're wrestling or do jujitsu or MMA, Austin, you're trying to funnel somebody so that you can get a leg in, like no matter what you're doing, you're trying, you're trying to get to that position. Right. I think, and I think that's what ties the system together. Right. And that's, I think important to know is that like, when I get a takedown, I'm not just getting a takedown because I know takedowns look good. I should be getting a takedown in order to funnel somebody so that I can get on their back. If I know I'm good on my, uh, on somebody's back, or I'm taking somebody down so that I can pass their guard and get to a site, a half, uh, well, half guard so that I can throw ground and pound. Right. Or I know I should know what my ultimate end goal is so that I can design my system to get me there. And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of times what fighters black or they don't do and good coaches put systems in front of athletes all the time but you have to help them identify their own system. It's like, what's your ultimate goal with that? Oh, I don't know. I know that we learned the double jab hook combination. Okay. Well, what are you trying to do with that? You're trying to knock somebody out exclusively with that. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, how can we set that up better? How can we funnel people into our left hand? If my name's Conor McGregor, right. Yeah. How can I set up this takedown into any of my jujitsu and catch wrestling? If I'm Khabib, right. Like design the system to predispose you to an unfair advantage. Well, that goes, that goes into an actually interesting thought of before you can even can make systems, you need to know what you're good at. You got to know your go-tos. And that's something I've thought about is I don't think enough fighters and combat athletes in particular know if there's 10 seconds on the line and I need one thing, what am I going to go to? 
yeah. they're not confident enough in their style or maybe, maybe they just don't, they don't know. They haven't even had that thought in their brain, but if you don't have a go-to, how can you make a system around where you want to get to? Right. And that's hundred percent your skills assessment. Like we did that. Forget how long ago now we did that oh, podcast. Yeah. We did that. We did do that. We did do that. Uh, I think it actually came out about a month ago. Yeah. We record this about a month in advance. So it would have just came out now, but um, that's your skills assessment. And that's where a lot of athletes need to adapt and adjust. I feel like, cause my safe quote unquote safe or dominant positions in wrestling are not safe or dominant in MMA a lot of the times. So it's like, uh, I've seen it probably I've been guilty of it a hundred million times, but I also saw it this weekend a little bit. Um, guys get in on a single and they sit down there flattened out. Like that is a death sentence in MMA. It's a bad position in wrestling. Like by no means is it a dominant position in wrestling, but it's a death sentence in MMA. You know, mm-hmm. you can't get tired and then default to that. We got to get tired and default to something else or default to a better position or know what position to go after. So um, it's like that guy in MMA that you see, like shoot a low single. He's not shooting a low single because he thinks the low single is going to work. <laughs> he's shooting a low single because he's tired of shit. He doesn't know what to do. And he's relying on his instincts, which in a wrestling match is a low single. Right. And you could stall out a good minute and a half. In a mm-hmm. little single. Can't do that in MMA. You get <laughs> smashed. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a weird thing trying to think about trying to reprogram the brain away from go-tos. Right. When we think about it, right? Because I would do I you're you're talking me. Like what you're saying is me if I were did MMA. Oh dude, I, I do it all the time when <laughs> I get tired and like I'm getting and these grappling goes are getting hard. Like I've started to realize that my go-to, like rest positions and my go-to selling positions are bad positions like for sure so and i'm way more out of shape now than when i wrestled so i go there a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel that right now i'm i'm on a i was on for like three weeks i'm on like a three-week off hiatus to hurt my big toe it's off i know i heard Um, we saw it if we're going about changing that programming, how do you do that? Or, I mean, how do you approach it? Like, not that we've you know, really delved into the science of how to reprogram your neuro neurons or whatever, but neuropsychology. You're talking about sports psychology right now? Neuropsych? I don't think neuropsychology is a thing. It is now. A doctor said it, everybody. Yeah, I know things. Um, no, changing, changing the brain and trying, I think it would come from a feedback, a uh, feedback situation. We'd have to yeah. positively feedback or give positive feedback over and over and over again around trying to get them to go after the submission, go after the finish, trying to change the way their brain is wired based off of uh, rewards, which is what the current research shows is positive reinforcement and a reward based system is always going to trump a negative uh, a negative reaction or a negative uh, reinforcement based system. That's just how the brain is work or how the brain works. So it's finding a finding out what the athlete's motives are, finding what their motivation is, and then using that as positive reinforcement every single time that they get a finish or every single time that they go for a submission in a competitive grappling go. Right. And I was thinking about this earlier too, like what is, what is conditioning's role in that too? Because I mean, I was saying that earlier, when you get tired, you default to these habits or default mm-hmm. to these pre-programmed things. So like, I think at, at a certain time you have to practice under fatigue, yeah. but I think a lot of um, errors I see is that we jump straight to that. It's like, when we get tired, we get in bad positions. So we got to practice being tired. Like, <laughs> no, 
Yeah. We need to practice having better default positions. And then once we've nailed those down and graded those and, and positively reinforced those, then we can put a little conditioning emphasis into it and work on our habits when we get tired. Um, so I think that's an interesting play because it's always been the like moniker of like, you know, don't get tired or when you get tired, you start being uh, sloppy. It's like, well, let's train really hard not to be sloppy so that when we get tired, we default to a less sloppy behavior. Right. It's the thought process. It, honestly, it comes down to, do you know the difference between a threshold and a, or and your capacity? Right. Like, are we going to train the threshold? Are we trying to lift up the threshold with, with what, or with what it takes to become tired? Or does the athlete just get tired too early? Is, mm-hmm. is their capacity too low? Yeah. And, but a lot of the times that, that isn't a concept or that thought doesn't cross somebody's mind when they're just, Oh, my athlete's tired. What am I going to do? We're going to make them work more. Well, maybe working more isn't actually what they need to do. Maybe it's working smarter in a threshold case, but sometimes it is working more. So it's, it's being knowledgeable on that area and, and either doing the research yourself or having somebody on your team that knows the difference. And being able to apply it to each individual athlete, like individual right. athletes have different problems. So we have to be able to identify that differently. Um, so that's, that's an interesting take on technique and getting tired. And like, again, conditioning is overhyped because you always get tired, like yeah. always going to get tired. So, well, that's, I mean, that's a conversation I've had recently is like, Hey, if we're, if we're doing, if we're doing MMA, right. Strength and conditioning probably isn't more than 10, 15% of the overall output right? Mm-hmm. If it's more than that in the equation, well, then you're not spending enough time on actually fighting when you're a fighter or actually yeah. wrestling when you're a wrestler. Yeah. You're just trying to be a good athlete who fights. Right. But no matter what you could have the, you could have the strength coach of the year, 15 years running, you're going to get tired in a 15 minute fight. That's mm-hmm. just what happens. It's understanding that trying to get tired as little as possible. And then being able to bring it back to what Alex said, perform under fatigue and perform being able to keep your performance high as your energy starts to zap. hundred percent. And I think that's an interesting point. Um, and I don't know why my brain went to this, but I think I like Conor McGregor, like when he gets tired or when he sees adversity in the cage, he's not very good. No. Every time that he had super amount of success and the run that he went on, because he never got in trouble. He's a confidence guy. He's a confidence fighter. Yeah. He never got in trouble. And so he kept the ball rolling positive, positive, positive. Like the first time that like we saw the deer in the headlights is like Nate Diaz, right? Yep. And so you saw that you saw a recipe and then, I mean, I think could be beats him nine times out of 10 anyway, but also yeah. he got in trouble in that fight. Yeah. So, so on branching off him to Khabib, actually a great way to explain the, the grappler that just holds position and the grappler that goes for submission is Khabib and his teammate Islam. Everybody talks about Islam as being Khabib 2.0. And what everybody keeps saying is it's, it's because this guy is always going for finishes. It doesn't matter if it's the first, it doesn't matter if it's the fifth, if he gets on top of you, he's not just going to hold you and throw selective punches. He's going to try to get to a dominant position, put you away. And that's the, he's the perfect example of where we need all of our grapplers to get to. You have such a high grappling prowess and chain wrestling. How do you use that chain wrestling that you're so good at with American wrestling and applying it to our finishing scenarios? Yeah. Whether you're following a submission or ground to pound too. And again, I got to catch myself right there because I said, whether you're funneling this mission or whether you're funneling ground and pound, they have to be two in the same or the one in the same, right? Your ground and pound sets up your submission or your submission attempt sets up a better position for ground and pound. So um, I guess that's a, I don't, 
my own Freudian slip. Oh, Freud. You know Sigmund. Nothing. You know nothing. Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Uh, well, what else you got? I talked about a little bit about technique and, and I guess philosophical approaches more than anything super technical. Yeah, mostly just risk aversion. Dude, it's 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 something that's hard to train. I don't even know if it's a trainable quality, to be completely honest, but I know that it's extremely correlated with success, especially in combat sports. So keeping that in mind when you're trying to plan out workouts and plan out programs. Yeah. Yep. So how do you get guys comfortable with the amount of risk that's gonna take? And I mean, and there's always gonna be psychological risk and nerves fight day, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, this is building a fighter, trying to make people better every day. And it's, it's what's the best approach we could take for the, the largest amount of combat athletes possible. It's mm-hmm. boosting that risk aversion up. But with this podcast, um, we need to like, share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends. Um, head over to the website. We have all of our different programming options up and live on the website, whether it's individual team-based programs, low back programs, um, or in general, just any sort of content. We also have the free content hub that is over at the website as well. Um, and if you are on Apple podcasts, please leave us a review. That'll boost that SEO. It's building a fighter, Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Freeman. And we are out.